As you head, head back, if you want to grab your Bibles, your device, we're heading to John chapter 4. And I did notice, yes, I did just notice that Susie King's here. She hid away. I don't know how I missed that flower suit. It's there. It's lovely to see you, Suze. And anyone else I've missed, if there is, lovely to see you too. It's also lovely to be able to share some scriptures together. So John chapter 4, as I said, is where we're turning this morning. We finished recently a series just working our way through the wonderful book of 1 Peter. And I've got, uh, it's not another series, but I have two messages in particular over the next couple of weeks. I've been waiting for a moment, just feeling like the Lord was saying it's time for a reminder, a refresher, a refiring in a couple of different areas. So that's where we're going to head this morning. But I want to pray for us. And I was thinking just at the earlier service, had, had that thought, you know, every week without fail, I'll, I'll pray that the Lord would speak to us because I believe that he has a word for us, that every time we gather, there is something unique that's on his heart. In fact, every time you pick up his word, he says his word is it's a light unto our path, it's a lamp, that it's bread that feeds and sustains us. The Lord speaks through his word. But there's also a sense in which there is our responsibility to hear, isn't there? So seven times throughout the book of the Revelation, book of Revelation, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. So how many of us have ears? If you need to check, you can. But you know, it's... It's possible to have ears and to not hear. You can ask my wife. She accuses me of that from time to time. That's right. You have, you have ears, my husband, but you don't seem to be hearing what I'm saying. But there is a sense, isn't there, that the Lord wants to speak, but there is a responsibility that we have as we come to him, as we read his word, as we sit here today. Lord, what is it that you have for me? Not is it, what, is, what is Andrew going to preach on this morning? What's the text? But he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. What's he saying to us this morning? Let's pray. So, Lord, we're here and we thank you that your word is alive, that it's sharper than a two-edged sword. We thank you that you have things on your heart for us this day, that your grace and your mercy, that your goodness is new each and every morning. But, Lord, we thank you that there is a, we acknowledge there's an invitation for us to have listening ears, to hear what it is that you're saying. And we want to be a people who hear. We want to be a people who know, a people who know your incredible love for us, a people whose grace and mercy is so evident in our hearts. And we thank you that Second Corinthians promises us that as we gaze upon you, that we are transformed more into your likeness. So would you do all that you need to do through us this day, all that's on your heart, we lay aside our agendas and we're here to be with you. We're here to seek your face, the living God. We're here to incline our ears, to lean in, to hear what your spirit is saying to us today. 2018, Fishwick, speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're heading to John chapter 4 for those who've come in late. And this is the title, this is the theme, this is the reminder that I'm hoping the Lord will encourage and edify and place upon our hearts today. Simply this, this is the gospel. 
This is the gospel. And probably already, some of the more biblically, scholarly inclined would be thinking, well, this is a very interesting passage of Scripture to talk about the gospel. John chapter 4. It's an account we know well. It's Jesus. He meets the woman at the well in Samaria. Why go to that passage? Isn't there better passages to go to to talk about the, the gospel? And you could think maybe a chapter earlier, John 3.16. There's a good passage to talk about a description of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. Or another definition, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, where Paul, he's talking to the Corinthians, he says, this is the gospel. He defines it. He says, this is the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, according to scriptures, that he was buried, according to scriptures, and that he rose again on the third day, according to scriptures. I mean, that would be some good definitions. You would agree? Yes. Nod your head. It's a good moment. Yes. There's no trick questions yet. I'll warn you when they're coming. That would be good definitions of the gospel, no doubt. But what I want to do this morning is not give you a definition, but to give you something that is a demonstration. A demonstration, and this is, I think, one of the most profound demonstrations of what the gospel looks like in our lives, in our society, around us. So are you ready? Okay, we'll move on anyway. Ready or not, here we go. John chapter 4, verse 3. It says, He being Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee. A very common route. And in verse 4 it says, And he had to pass through Samaria. Now we should say that no self-respecting Jew would enter into this country of Samaria. It was a forbidden land. The Jews had an extreme dislike for the people who lived in Samaria. without going into the history there. And yet it says here in chapter 4, verse 4, and he had to. Has anyone got a King James? There's some places where I love the King James. I remember I was away on a holiday many years ago, and I I got there. I always forget something. Anyone else forget something on holidays like that? It's nothing worse. You get there and you've forgotten your underpants or something really bad like that. But (laughs) this time it wasn't that. I got there and I realized I'd forgotten my Bible. So I'd headed down to a little tiny Christian bookstore, a bookstore that had a a few little Christian books, and there was one version of the Bible. It was a King James version of the Bible, and I picked it up, and I learned some words that I'd never heard of before. It was fantastic. But there is sometimes where the King James version is useful, and it translates this this way. It says, Jesus must need. Sounds a little awkward, but the point is this. In the original language, there is a double imperative. You see, Jesus is saying it is absolutely essential. Nobody else would do this, but for us and for me, this is absolutely essential. And that's important because the account that we're about to read, you could easily think was just coincidence. Jesus happened to be passing through. He happened to come across this person. But as you read through the Gospels, if you're careful, you see that there was an intentionality about everything that Jesus did. It may not have always made sense, but it was always for a purpose. It said the Jewish rabbis have an expression that says, coincidence is not a kosher word. You have to be a little bit Jewish to get that. Just wait, it'll settle. We would say there's no coincidence in the kingdom, but we live our lives 
directed by a divine author who is orchestrating our steps. There is no coincidence anywhere in this story. This was the divine intention and plan and purpose of God. So it said he must need go through Samaria. And he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, this is verse 5, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now I think he includes that little definition the little explanation there of where they were at, just so his readers might have some concept of where they just arrived. Because they were in the middle of nowhere. Not only were they in Samaria, but they were in a town that didn't feature on any map. It wasn't the top of the to-do visit places of Samaria. It was a little backwater town. It says in verse 8, as you read on, the very first thing. I love this parentheses. parentheses. It says, but the disciples had headed away to the city to buy food. What's the first thing they did when they got there? They said, where is the closest burger joint? We need some food. We're in the middle of nowhere. There is nothing to do. And most importantly, there's nothing to eat. So they're off. See, I I would give us this encouragement. There are so many times as we follow Jesus, as we see the gospel at play, as we see his mission, there's so many times and seasons, isn't there, where... To us, it doesn't make sense. Anyone been in one of those seasons? You're like, God, I just don't get this. I mean, you said that we were going to Galilee. Why are we in the middle of Samaria? What is going on? I mean, I I, I believe you. I trust you. You said you're the Messiah. We're following you. But surely there should be some more efficient ways of accomplishing what you need to do. We're here. It's, it's the middle of nowhere. It's a barren wasteland. There's not even any place that we can go to to get a decent feed. What are we doing here? And the encouragement is this. As they're going to find out very soon, as we will find out in this journey of faith, of following Jesus, it's so often that in the most unlikely places, in the most difficult, in the most abandoned and forsaken places that we find the greatest harvests. It just is. It's a reality. And I want you to hold on to that. When you're in the midst of a season and you're like, I do not know what this is about and I don't know what the Lord is doing. He is there. He is purposeful. He is intentional. And there is a harvest for you now. In the midst of wherever you are. And we're going to get to that in a moment. Hopefully. Lord, help us. So it says that uh, it was the sixth hour and Jesus was wearied. Verse 7, and as he sits by the well, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now, of course, we know this story well. This is not only a Samaritan. This was not only a woman, but this was a woman who was coming to draw water at the sixth hour, which is midday. The hot sun of the Middle Eastern wilderness. What we can ascertain from this is this was a woman who was coming at this particular time with a mission not just of drawing water, but of avoiding people. She was going out of her way not to be seen. She was not expecting to see anyone, let alone Jesus, and let alone have Jesus speak to her. She says with some surprise, what are you, what are you doing talking to me? First of all, you're a man and you're a Jew. My people have no dealings with you. What are you doing here? And here's what I think I love most about this story. See, think about this for a moment. John's making it clear that Jesus, with this great intentionality, goes to the middle of nowhere. It's not even a decent eatery around. 
The disciples are off getting burgers. And in the midst of that place, he goes to encounter a woman. But you see, he doesn't encounter her at her house. He doesn't go knock on the door. Surely he could have done that. I mean, his great intention and great purpose. He doesn't bump into her at the supermarket aisle and say, look, can I just have a quiet word to you in a private, confidential area? Can we meet up for coffee later? He comes to her and he meets her where? He meets her in the midst of her shame. As she's avoiding people, and as you read the story, you see this is a woman who's been through a number of relationships, who's living with a man who's not currently her husband. She's got great shame. She's got great baggage. She's avoiding everybody, and it's in that place, in the place of her great shame, that Jesus comes to meet with her. Isn't that a wonderful picture of Jesus? Isn't that a wonderful picture of the gospel? His love, our Savior, will find you. You can outrun many things in this life, but you cannot outrun his love. You can never outrun his persistent, persevering love that will find you in your deepest, darkest place of need. So the other thing that John, remember, John's telling us this story. And in fact, uh, later in the, in the Gospel of John, he says, I've just given you some signs, as many things I could have written about, but I want to give you these signs. He gives us seven miracles, seven conversations, seven encounters to prove to you who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. And that as you see who he is, that you believe and have life in his name, that you put your faith in him. What is, it, what is it that John is telling us about this story? He's telling us that here is the savior of the world. He's on earth for a short period of time to accomplish the greatest mission in the history of mankind. He's here to, to save humanity from their sins. And what does he do? He goes out of his way for a person of no significance, of no influence, of no worth or value in the eyes of the world. See, this is the beauty of the gospel. He's saying the gospel is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. Nothing can qualify you for it, and nothing can exclude you from it. If you read on, it says he seeks her out for what reason? Verse 10, not just to have a conversation. Jesus answered her and said, If you only knew the gift of God and who it was that is standing before you. He seeks her out for one purpose and one purpose alone. And she has some questions. How many of you would have questions if you encountered Jesus by the well? You'd have your little pet list. She had a couple of questions to ask him. But he didn't turn up to disseminate the doctrine of divinity. He didn't turn up to give her some self-help, some marriage advice and counseling. He turned up in the midst of her brokenness to give her a gift of life. If you only knew the gift, the gift that is standing right before you, he is the gift, the greatest gift. And think about this. All this story happens and it occurs in a place, as John details, that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. In fact, he'd given it and he purchased it. You can read in Genesis 33, the account for 100 pieces of silver. So Jesus goes intentionally out of his way to a forbidden place, to a land that was purchased by a father and given to a son for one reason, to find the least likely candidate that he could possibly have found in the entire region to meet her in a place of shame and to offer her a gift of life. Kind of sounds like the gospel, doesn't it? 
See, there's, there's a reason why I believe that this picture so profoundly demonstrates the gospel. This was the heart of his mission. As Jesus stood up, as he began his ministry, he said this, he quoted from Isaiah. He says, the Lord's anointed me. The Lord has appointed me. He's sent me out. He's filled me with his spirit to bring good news to the poor, to bind up brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This was the gospel. He said, no, I have to go. I am compelled to go. I don't care where this place is, but I have paid for this woman. And I'm going to find her in her place of deepest need to give her a gift that she could never deserve, a gift of life. This is our Savior. This is our Jesus, the seeking King, the one who stops at nothing, who spares no expense to pursue, pursue the ones he loves that he gave his life for. Just think about this. The only face of God, the only human representation, Hebrews says the exact likeness, the physical representation of the eternal God, the King of heaven, the Lord of angel armies, the one who spoke and created, the uncreated God, the only physical representation that humanity will ever see and touch and feel and witness was what? A seeking king, a savior. This one who goes out of his way because he says, the world might say that you're without value. The world might say that I want nothing to do with this person, but I say, in my eyes, you have value. You have worth. You have significance. And he stretched forth his hands feet nailed to a cross, his blood shed, and as he breathed his last, he said, I did this for you. I did this for you. How great is this love that nothing can separate us from? Because he loves you, because you are of worth. And I want to remind us this. This is still his mission. This is still his mission. This is still his heart. He hasn't changed. He is still the seeking king. He is still going out of his way at his own cost and expense to reach those whom he loves and whom he has paid for. You know, to the young girl waking up this morning, just looking for the next place that she can find to get the next hit of heroin just to see her through. He says, I paid for her with my blood. She's the one. She's the one I'm seeking. I love her. The young man waking up without hope, wondering whether life is worth going on, what's the point, where's the meaning? He's saying, I died for him. I died for him. He's the one that I came for. The single mom just trying to get through another day, trying to stay strong for the sake of her children, holding together what remains of the pieces of her life. To the discouraged, the downtrodden, the brokenhearted, trying to carry around the weight of the world with human hands. He says, I'm seeking you out. My love will find you there in the midst of your shame and your brokenness. See, this is the gospel. This is the gospel we've got to 
be reminded of. This is the gospel. This is the mission. And there's somewhere specifically this morning that I want to land and I want to jump down in chapter 4, verse 31. So as we read this account, it continues. He meets with this woman. He gives her an offer of, of life. He proclaims himself to be the Messiah, the one that the people have been waiting for and longing for. And she rushes away. So she drops her water pot behind. No longer is it of any significance. She's found Jesus. And she runs to the town. She tells everybody who'll listen, guess what? I found Jesus. Come and see Jesus. Come and see the one. Have we found the Messiah? Is he here? Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples, where have they been? They've been off getting food. They've been off looking for eateries. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. You can see they haven't come far, have they? All this is transpiring, and they're still just worried about what they're going to have for dinner. And he said to them, I have food to eat that you do know about, that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone bought him something to eat? They said, Did someone give him food? Did you give him food? Who, who gave him food? How did you get food, Jesus? Was this another miraculous bread thing? How did you get food? We were off looking for food, and you've already got food. So Jesus said to them, You bunch of. No, my food is to do the will. Of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. This is my food. This is what sustains me. It's to do his will. That's why we're here. Don't you see that this is the gospel here? You're off getting burgers and this is the will of God right here. In this forbidden, forsaken place. Verse 35, do you not say, well, there's yet four months and then will be the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Lift up your eyes and see there is a harvest here. I want to encourage us. I want to leave us with this place. Look, lift up your eyes, for the fields are white for harvest. What was it that Jesus was pointing them to? If you read a lot of the, uh, the Bible commentaries, you'll suggest that, well, as Jesus says, look, you know, they're out in the country and there's, there's little forgotten village, city nearby, surrounded by fields. They're probably looking at the fields around them. It's probably harvest time. There could have been crops that were ready to harvest, and this is what he's pointing to, giving them a picture. It could be. I want to suggest something else. You see, it says in verse 30, as this woman goes back and as, as she proclaims her testimony to this city, it says, they being all the people of the town, they went out of the town and they were coming to him. See, that's the setting there. Jesus is saying, I believe, as he's talking to his disciples, as they're still wondering, what are we going to eat? He says, he says, look, you've got to understand this is the gospel. Look, see. He points to the village as people begin to come from everywhere. They're coming to meet with Jesus. And he says, look, look, lift up your eyes. This is the harvest. The harvest is here. The harvest is ready. Not in four months, it's now. The harvest is here. Jesus says to them, we're not just here to pass through to get to some place. We're not here to sample the local food, beverages. We're not here to be satisfied with the things of this life. We're here to do the will of the Father. The thing that drives me, the consuming passion of my life is this. Look, look, they're coming. Can't you see where, why we're here? This is the gospel. Can you see it? Look around you. The fields are ripe for harvest. The problem is you just didn't have eyes to see it. You were too distracted 
and focused on other things. Look, open up your eyes. The harvest is here. The harvest is now. I want us just to think about that for a moment. The harvest is here. He's saying right here in the midst of this journey. Why are we here? Because of the harvest. We don't need to go to Galilee to find the harvest. We don't need to go back to Jerusalem. The harvest is here. You don't need to go on a mission trip. You don't need to go overseas to find the harvest. There is a harvest that the Lord has for you now. They say, well, but look where we are. We're in the middle of nowhere. We're at some land that Jacob purchased thousands of years ago. We're in the middle of nowhere. How could there possibly be a harvest here? And the Lord says, look. He says, look, just look up and see the harvest that is all around. He says, the harvest is here. He says, the harvest is now. You see, you say, we'll just give it four months and it'll be harvest time. You say, well, just, just wait until we get to the end of the journey. I mean, there's, there's no harvest here. You say, well, just wait till I finish school. Just wait till I get my university degree. Well, just, just wait until the kids are a bit older. Just wait until there's you know, enough money to, to take care of us for the future, the superannuation balance. Just, just, just wait. Just What's the just wait that is stopping us from seeing the harvest now? He's saying, I tell you, the harvest is here and the harvest is now. Today is the day of salvation. Do not wait another moment to follow the call that God has given and put upon your life. The harvest is here. The harvest is now. May we never be so distracted by the things of this world that we forget about the harvest now. You know, if I'm honest, I read this story and I see myself as the disciples. Jesus is there. The harvest is happening. There's a great awakening in the region. And all I'm worried about is what I'm going to have for dinner. Anyone else like that? Where's the local burger place? Isn't this all about me? I mean, Lord, I know you've got me in the middle middle of a, a, a desert wasteland, but at least if I can find a good eatery. At least if I can have something to make this more manageable. So distracted that I miss the harvest that is here and now. So much in a rush in our crazy fast-paced world. How often do we miss the plan? Because we're like, no, we've just got to get to Galilee. That's it. We're getting there. That's the mission. And Jesus is saying, hang on. The harvest is here. The harvest is now. The harvest is here. The harvest is now. The harvest is simple, isn't it? You don't need a doctorate or a PhD. You don't need to join a fancy organization. You just need to look for those people. They're all around. They're all around. The people who need that which only he can bring, who need life, who need hope. They're in our city. You know, this last, this last week... The school that my wife teaches at, and I know many of you go there, and there's teachers there as well, they were rocked by a young man, 16 years of age, who took his own life just at the end of the holiday period. And it rocked the school. Statistics say that every week in our city, there's a young person who takes their life. Let's make it our mission that there is nobody who wakes up in the morning without knowing the hope that they have in him, without knowing that there is another way. There is Jesus. There is life. We have 
our mission field around us. This is the gospel. This is the glorious gospel that Jesus has extended to us. And he says, come on. Come on, guys. I need you to see the harvest is here and the harvest is now. It's not tomorrow. It's not when you get to Galilee. It's not when you get this accreditation. It's not at this season of your life. The harvest is here. But will we be a people who will look, lift up our eyes and see? I want us to stand as we conclude. I don't know if there's some musicians who can come back. As I said, I really felt there was two messages just at this time that the Lord was saying, I want you to remind people this. And this morning the reminder is this. This is the gospel. I believe that we are to look. We are to lift up our eyes and we are to see the harvest that is all around us. But there's something else as well this year. The Lord's put this on my heart in particular. I believe that we're, begin to, we're to begin to pray. We're begin, we are to begin to pray that we would see a harvest. That the Lord would not only make us ready, that he would begin to bring in the harvest. And we've had a year where already we've seen a number of people who've come forward to surrender their lives to Christ. Some for the first time, some rededicating their lives. But I do believe that the Lord is saying, this is a season of harvest. He's looking for people who are ready, who have eyes to see, but a people who will pray. A people who will pray. And so I just, I want to do this. If you're friendly enough for the person next to you, and I will pray for us and I'll bless us all. But I want us to take a moment as a church and I want us to pray. We often say, well, let's pray for our city. Let's pray for our nation. But specifically, I want to pray this, that we would see a harvest. That those women at the well, that we would not walk by consumed with our own stuff, that we miss them. But that we would be the ones that he sends out to reap a harvest. So can we do that? Just, just begin to pray in your own way. It doesn't have to be loud, but just engage. Let's pray. Let's pray together, people. Thank you, Jesus. Give us eyes to see, we pray, Jesus. Give us eyes to see. is the gospel. This is your great desire. Send us out, Jesus. Pray for a harvest, God. Pray for those waking up with no hope, with no purpose. So Lord, we just say, here we are. Here we are. We thank you that there's no coincidence in your kingdom. Lord, give us eyes to see. We want to be a part of your mission. Send us forth, we pray. And may this be a year that we see all that you desire. A great harvest, we pray. In Jesus' name, your wonderful name, Lord.